This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. As the economy continues to be touted as the number one issue for voters ahead of the November 8th election, the Federal Reserve this week plans to bump interest rates up once more. The logic of making it more expensive for people to borrow in order to tackle the fact that things are more expensive is a bizarre one. Republicans running for office are hammering Democrats for spending taxpayer revenues on individual taxpayers, claiming that it is the source of high inflation. Democrats appear unable or unwilling to counter that record-breaking corporate profits are to blame. Today, we turn to acclaimed economist Nomi Prinz, who explains in her new book why the stock market's rise and fall has so little to do with our own personal finances. She writes, quote, the epic divide between finance and the real economy is what I have defined as a permanent distortion. Dr. Nomi Prinz is an international economist, investigative journalist, geopolitical financial expert, and outspoken advocate for economic reform. She's published numerous books, including the bestseller Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World. She was a global Wall Street executive for a decade and a half and had top positions at Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns in London, as well as Lehman Brothers and Chase Manhattan Bank. She joins me now to discuss her new book called Permanent Distortion, How the Financial Markets Abandoned the Real Economy Forever. Welcome to the program, Nomi. Thank you so much for having me on, Sonali. So first, let's talk about why it is that the ups and downs of the stock market seem to have so little impact on our bottom line, on our own personal uh, wallets. Um, Republicans in particular are very good at making the assumption or selling, I should say, the assumption that the what's good for the stock market and Wall Street is good for the rest of us. But that's not true, right? Well, it, it isn't. And part of the reason for that um, started with the financial crisis, but um, accelerated during the pandemic and is on steroids now or has created what I call a permanent distortion between what happens in the stock markets and the financial markets and how we basically feel our real economy personal as well as overall um, on the foundation of society. And the reason for all of that comes down to, which might not be surprising, money. Um, more particularly how money works, where it comes from and where it has gone. Um, part of what has happened in this millennial is millennium is that the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world have manufactured money first to help bail out the banks in the financial crisis period of 2008, ever since then, and more so during the pandemic period. Um, so what started as an emergency measure in 2008 has become permanently uh, an accessibility of cheap money, of money that's injected into banks and into the markets that does not, by definition, get to the real economy because it stays in the markets. And that happens whether or not markets are going up or down. It just goes more quickly into them. It sticks around longer. It reproduces itself. And this does not therefore have the impact on the real economy that money should. So when uh, we try to explain inflation, which is such a hot button topic these days, the media has hyped it up as being this really important issue that should impact, uh, you know, that, that we should be 
using as the basis for election and voting. How does inflation actually happen in the economy as it is designed today? And is it different from the reasons for inflation a few decades ago? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It, it is different on, on many levels and also the same as it was decades ago. What's happened more recently in the last couple of years is that we have multiple um, forms of inflation. The one that we experience most in our pocketbooks at the moment has to do with fuel and food inflation, and then also homes from the standpoint of prices and also very much so from the standpoint of rents. Now, rents are something that have been going up relative to real wages for decades, um, in particularly since the financial crisis with the availability um, of cheap money to the upper parts of the system and not necessarily to everybody else. Um, what that means and what we're seeing right now is rents are going up. They are therefore inflating the figures that the Fed is looking at and that we hear discussed in the media and in CPI numbers, consumer price index numbers and so forth. Um, but that's because a lot of cheap money has gone into the housing market and has pushed prices up very quickly, which makes it difficult for real people to afford homes, especially now with mortgage rates, interest rates being double what they were in March because the Fed has been raising rates, which creates a, a bigger gap or chasm between rent payers having to pay more than they can afford. And as a byproduct, again, pushing up inflation of rent and being able to afford a house because interest rates are too high and have gone too high too quickly in particular, given the Fed's current policy. So that's one thing that's happening. The other inflation, as I mentioned before, is food and fuel. Now there's nothing about either one of those two things that the Fed can particularly do anything about. So what the Fed has done instead is ignore the fact um, hide the fact that it can't really do anything about those major causes of inflation and instead focus on what they look for in inflation, which is what they consider to be wages um, and, and, and the inflation of wages. Now, the reality is wages have not kept up with household budgets. Even if they are a little bit higher, they're not keeping up with all these other inflationary figures. And what that means is they've effectively lagged behind those figures. And yet that's what the Fed is, is stuck on. Um, in terms of right now uh, supposedly fighting inflation, but in fact hurting the average worker and not helping their average household costs. So is that what you mean when you say in your book that central banks have become money dealers and inequality enablers? When faced with crisis, they zoomed past being lenders of last resort to being arbiters who, of who wins and loses in the economy. Their policies are setting up future crises and systemic economic fractures. I mean, we're hearing that the Federal Reserve's uh, bumping up of interest rates is, is basically inevitably going to trigger a global recession. They seem to not be scared of that, however, in their bid to, in their perhaps mistaken, or it seems a mistaken bid to tackle inflation. Well, exactly right. Now, on the one hand, raising rates to to sort of combat where prices are on isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that's not because of why they say. It's because 
in the last couple of years in particular, and this has been going on, um, as I mentioned, since financial crisis just more so recently, um, the, the average billionaire has done quite well because either their company's done well because that's where cheap money has gone through the banking system. They bought back shares, they get paid in stock, uh, they get paid in options and all sorts of things that have gone up quite tremendously because of this external artificial injection of money into the system. Um, and I have a stat in permanent distortion in the book, which is which is very um, painful actually, is that um, billionaires, the top 10 billionaires in the world went from a, a, a collective total wealth of $700 billion to $1.5 trillion in just the two years after the pandemic during the time that central banks were manufacturing more money than they had in the wake of the financial crisis and way more quickly. And the stack goes on to say that they were making $15,000 per second. So just imagine being silent for a second, making $15,000. And more so that even if their wealth were to drop by 99.999%, so many nines, they would still be richer than 99% of the planet. Now, on the one hand, this inequality um, in itself is not new, but the fact is it has been stoked by this availability of extra money going into the financial system through the financial markets that most people don't have a connection to. Yet they do have a connection to the headlines when they say that the stock markets might be wobbling a bit or that corporations might have to reduce wages or their wages aren't keeping up with inflationary like real pressures of, as I mentioned before, food, fuel and rent. So all along the way, the money is either going very quickly to pumping up the stock markets, leaving the real economy behind, or even when the policy turns a bit and it's less cheap for those markets and they wobble, the real economy, as you mentioned, and as I believe is true, is headed into a recession and a prolonged recession. And ironically, this is what uh, the Fed said. It was reducing rates and creating money to combat over the past 15 years in, in, in different periods in different ways. Is it fair to say that when the stock market is booming, inequality is high. And if that's true, and, you, and you, you, you have a figure in your book kind of showing that if, if that is true, then our economy, I mean, that's a clear evidence that our economy is rigged against most people. That, that's right, because it, it, it comes down to, and this is a particular period in history that, that wasn't the case when we had very high inflation back in the late 70s and early 80s, where um, some of the reasons were similar, but the background was very different because that backdrop did not happen during a period where central banks had created trillions and trillions of dollars out of nowhere um, that were injected into and inhaled by the financial system and, and those markets that we're talking about. So, so the very mechanisms um, have gotten completely out of whack with, with just money and markets versus money and the economy in general. Technically, markets, capital markets, the stock market, the bond market are supposed to be there to effectively raise money in order to go into the real economy. That's that's the that's the story. Um, but that hasn't been happening. That money's really stayed in those areas and it hasn't filtered into the real economy. Um, I know people feel that. I have a lot of stats and numbers to that effect um, in, in the book as well. But that's what we're seeing um, right now. And so even when the stock market comes off its highest for whatever reason, um, and right now that's because it's afraid that the Fed, uh, not, not of recession, the markets truly don't care um, about recession. What they do care about right now is whether money will be too expensive, i.e. rates will be um, hiked up by too much too soon, and therefore there won't be all that excess money slashing around to go to stock 
stock buybacks to, to to pay corporate CEOs to to finance mergers and acquisitions and all the other sorts of things that happen in the financial community, not the fact um, that the real economy has throughout this entire period been lagging behind. Now there was a time when capitalism could be reined in through regulation and aggressive taxation. Are both those um, fail-safes now in tatters? And is that one reason why the financial markets are so disconnected from the economy as most of us experience it? All right, so on the, on the part of regulation, um, particularly in the financial markets of the banking system and, and how that money is, is manufactured, first of all, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be regulating um, the banks. Um, that That's one thing. It's supposed to jurisdict whether or not, um, you know, banks can basically um, be in too risky a position. They're supposed to have reserves or money stashed at the Fed in case something goes wrong. They're supposed to be able to pull them back, but that's not what's been happening. Instead, what's been happening is the Fed's effectively paying interest to the banks for the banks to give the Fed um, debt that has been created either by the banks or by, by the government um, in return for injecting money into the system and, and putting no accountability. So forget regulations, just no accountability uh, as to where that money goes. And as a result, that money goes to where it flows most quickly and easily, which is into uh, financial assets and financial markets. So, so that's something where regulations have, have, have deeply been fractured. They're not even paid attention to. Um, and that's aside from the fact that going back um, into the, the financial crisis period and why that even happened is because the banks um, were and still are institutions that can um, commingle people's deposits and 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 checking account and sort of real money the the real economy parts of their banking um, facilities and mingle that with trading with investment banking and with now the the creation yet again um, of risky mortgage assets which we we saw happen um, and which was at the crux of the financial crisis in 2007 2008 and to none of this is 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 Congress or the Federal Reserve paying the the remotest amount of attention right now. Um, the inflation of those assets, the deflation of, of regulations is not something the Fed's even remotely talking about. Again, they're just talking about um, inflation, which they deem to be able to control with, of course, quote, pain, um, as Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell calls it, to the real economy um, to combat that inflation and really targeting inflation um, again, of wages in the labor market, which which have not whatsoever at all kept up with the stock market um, or the inflation of financial asset prices at the hands of that same Fed and other central banks. Now, when President Biden took office, he was perhaps the first president, I, I can't say this for sure, but among the first presidents or first politicians to very openly criticized trickle-down economics. And he repeated his criticism when Britain's short-lived prime minister, uh, Liz Truss, uh, touted her budget for the UK. But in his own policies, is he actually enacting what should be the opposite of trickle-down economics? I mean, yes, he has talked about infusing cash directly into people's bottom lines. There is, you know, and, and in fact, he's getting flack for from Republicans for, uh, you know, ensuring people have apparently too much money in our hands as the reason for inflation. But is Biden walking the walk, uh, you know, in, in line with his criticism of trickle-down economics? Um, not not really. And it, it's ironic, again, that, that the Republicans are concerned about it now um, when, when they weren't uh, concerned about it when um, 
when the CARES Act came out under actually the Trump administration um, and, 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 and worked with injecting um, some direct money into into the um, people's pockets, right? Which actually but, was very yeah. helpful, we saw. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and so they forgot that part. But, but, but the point being that it was helpful and it was a good use of government, um, but also the Federal Reserve at the same time manufactured a ton more money than that. Um, and that was the money that inflated um, the housing market, financial assets, the stock market, and, and just increased risk in the overall system. And so nobody on either side is paying attention to that. And in terms of trickle-down economics, the, the reality is if economics is based on, on where money goes, um, and money is going into the markets and financial assets that are either unaffordable or unattainable for which real people don't have a big um, stake in or tie to, um, then then by definition, we're, we're basically increasing that gap. And also, money, if it doesn't go into the real economy, I mean, the productive economy, I think wages should actually stay up and continue to rise. I don't know anyone, um, you know, who, who will raise a hand and say, I'm getting paid too much, right? Um, and particularly in the real economy relative to their bills. So, um, so that's not really a thing. Um, and 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 the idea of um, you know trickle down economics coming through the financial system and markets um, doesn't make sense either because the data shows that that's not where that money actually goes. Now it can. Um, if I were President Biden, I would be, and he just started doing this a little bit, I would be touting the the benefits of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, for example, um, and other bills that have been passed on a bipartisan nature, um, albeit with infighting, in, in, uh, in Congress, because it's, it's actually investing into our real economy, as opposed to the financial markets that can create um, stronger, longer jobs, more innovation, more infrastructure, um, safer environments for everyone. And, and ultimately, that is what can lift um, people up. So it's a trickle up from the foundation um, of economics, not necessarily, um, not at all, a trickle down from, from the top. Um, and I think that's a mistake going into the elections um, that all all Democrats are are making and not and not more um, pointing to how we can strengthen the economy to um, to level out inflationary pressures as opposed to um, and they no one's talking about this as opposed to standing aside and 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 uh, you know watching the Fed supposedly combat inflation by making it harder. Right. Um, the average person to to borrow or to to make their paychecks stretch. Well, Finally, Nomi, uh, you have a whole chapter in your book on the crypto wars. And I want to just take, uh, ask you to spend the last few minutes on a topic that makes most of our heads spin. You know, the, 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 there's, there's some sectors of the public that get really excited about Bitcoin and uh, others who feel like every time they have a handle on understanding it, like me, um, you kind of lose a sense of, of what it really is and if it's real money. What are the crypto wars? How do you explain them to a lay audience? Um, that's that's a good question, and um, it was uh, my publisher wasn't sure if um, he wanted me to keep that chapter in the book because um, on, on the surface it would seem detached from everything else we're talking about, but to me it was very very much connected because um, Bitcoin. Um, as a cryptocurrency, as a currency that sort of exists outside this main financial system and outside of this main central banking system, um, really grew in popularity um, very quickly, not because everybody knew about it, but just relative to a new kind of money and, and how quickly it became known um, over the years since the financial crisis, um, and particularly since the pandemic, precisely as a, a um, 
kind of combat to the this kind of, of what we call fiat money or money that's just based on creating debt and, and sort of confidence in governments, but really manufactured even more so by um, central banks and going out through the financial system. And the idea of crypto is to exist outside of that. And rather than to have an unlimited, uncapped ability to create more money, which is currently what exists, particularly for the strong currency central banks, um, and at the top of that list is the Federal Reserve, uh, they created four and a half trillion dollars in no time in in 2020 um, because they could um, and four and a half trillion dollars in the financial crisis through 2020 also because they could um, that, that crypto has a kind of cap to it um, and as a result particularly bitcoin um, as a more prevalent type of currency that people can ultimately connect into um, the digital modes of how they pay and receive money um, from and to each other as well as potentially for small business loans and everything else so it's in a very nascent stage um, but it but it has grown in opposition to and because of um, how central banks and governments have sort of handled their own currencies and there is math to it um, there's also a lot of risk to it because it isn't as prevalent throughout the world and therefore um, anything that's not used in, in in sort of a great manner or just in its nascent stage ha has risk attached to it um, but the math of it um, would allow for sort of a cap of um, particularly in Bitcoin, not necessarily in all cryptocurrencies, um, the, the creation of money and, and the more people that would use it. And I do think it also needs to be regulated. So so there is a side um, that that I think would have to be connected to it to a regulatory body um, just to make it safer um, for more people, for those those small shop owners taking money and wanting to be assured that if it's in Bitcoin, it doesn't you know change in value you know two minutes later. Um, but I think all of that's in its very nascent stage. Um, and, and I think it's going to have a long path of, of growth and um, adaptability um, as we move forward. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. My guest has been Dr. Nomi Prince. She's an investigative economist, a, a international economist, investigative journalist, geopolitical financial expert, and outspoken advocate for economic reform. She's written numerous books and we've just been discussing her latest, Permanent Distortion. How the financial markets abandon the real economy forever. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.